Okay, we need to thank our friends at Lacey Boots. Our good pal Nancy Baldock got Sky hooked on Lacey Boots. These boots are some of the most comfortable on the market. They are C-width, which gives feet and toes more room. And the taller boots come in three calf sizes so they can fit just about anyone. These highly technical boots are extremely comfortable, fashionable, and add extreme impact protection. Lacey Boots also has a line of Western shirts called the Cool Cowgirl. With cooling technology, these shirts are soft and stretchy, fully perforated for airflow to help keep you cool. Find Lacey Boots on Facebook or visit LaceyBoots.com. Okay, friends, I'm back. Hope you guys are doing great wherever you are. My name is Ty Evans, and this is the Everyday Mulemanship Podcast. And uh, today we're going to do a clinic debrief. Our most recent clinic was Canyon City, Colorado. This is our first time coming to Canyon City. For a clinic, that is, I came to the Pro Rodeo back in like, I think uh, I think it was 2008. I came to the Pro Rodeo. I was here probably a grand total of an hour and uh, rode my bronc. I, I remember I remember riding my bronc, getting off on the pickup man and noticing that the crowd was not excited and the announcer didn't seem too excited. And I never really heard my score or I, I, I heard it muffled and I was like, eh, it sounded like 70 something, you know, and anyways, I figured, well, they didn't make a big deal about it. So I must not be in the money. So I loaded up and I left and, and, uh, until now, that's all I knew of Canyon city, Colorado is my one hour here to ride a bronc and load up and head out. So anyways, we just finished up a great clinic. Trina Dowd, one amazing host. If you don't know Trina, you need to you need to come to the clinic just so you can meet Trina Dowd because she is just incredible. In fact, I'd like to have her as a guest here on the podcast. And, uh, you know, she went above and beyond doing a great job as a host. Um, just made us feel totally comfortable. And, and I know she made all the participants feel great and, and did a good job. You know, this clinic was held at Red Canyon Stables. I'd like to give Lori there a shout out. You know, she does boarding. And uh, they got a trainer there named Jimmy. And uh, anyways, it, it was a great place. Big arena. In fact, they had two arenas, two round pens. One of the round pens was just fantastic for cow work. And the other one looked like a, a dolphin aquarium. <laughs> you keep dolphins in there? What are you training inside there? It's just this big walled round pen. But uh, tons of stalls, tons of paddocks, RV hookups. Uh, Trina hooked up uh, uh, a, a great food vendor named Robert from Bax Barbecue. Shout out to Bax Barbecue um, to come to the clinic and feed us. And so we had lunch every day and breakfast every day there. And, and uh, you know, of course, we got our famous potluck. But this potluck was kind of special because Trina hooked us all up with walking tacos. If you've never had a walking taco, friends, you got to try this. So basically you take a bag of Doritos and then you add hamburger and cheese and sour cream and lettuce and tomato, whatever you like, you, and you crunch it all up and you take a spoon to it and it's a walking taco. So that was kind of a treat for our potluck night. And, um, it was three days of fun. And 
I was just super impressed with the people. The people were very enthusiastic. There was a lot of smiles, a lot of laughter, and and we had a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed it, you know. And we made a lot of progress, too. Um, sometimes the, the clinics can be funny, you know, and it depends on how much you as the participant does there. Um, I love it when the participants show up, they do the class, and they practice each evening. Now, this is a key that a lot of people don't do. And the first night of this, I, I'm starting to get a little bit more strict about this at the clinics, but the first night, I told everybody to do a little homework. The next morning... I don't know if they thought I was just joking or thought I was whatever, but the next morning I said, okay, how'd the homework go? And there were only a couple that raised their hand that did their homework, so I kind of got after them a bit. And guess what? The next day, they did their homework, and you could see a difference. Those that worked hard, you could see the difference. So if you come to a clinic, do your homework at night, and I'll give you your homework at the clinic. Don't you worry. You'll get your homework. You'll know what to do. But do it. and you know, those that do their homework, they come the next day and they have questions because they go work by themselves and I'm not there to ask and there's not somebody else there to ask and they kind of have to figure it out themselves. And sometimes that's the beauty of it is that you figure it out yourself, but sometimes they get a little stumped or something happens. They're not sure what to do. Well, you can come to class the next morning and I'm there to help you. I'm there to answer your questions. And, um, I guess I'm just saying, if you come to a clinic, do your homework. You won't regret it. You'll be glad you did. And, um, you know, the second day these people did. they And they did a good job. And they came to class. And they had really good questions, really insightful questions, really wisdom-seeking questions that were valuable. And, and I love hearing that. So, you know, uh, I really appreciated them all. Um, there's a few highlights I want to talk about. And I'm, you know, I'm trying to get better about these debriefs. You know, the point of these debriefs, you guys, if you've um, been around anybody that, that does military stuff, you know, or, or some of these, these companies, they'll do debriefs after something comes up and, and they'll talk about what went, what went good and why did it go good? What, what went bad and why did it go bad? That was kind of my thought on these clinics. And uh, I thought that, hey, you know, if I jump on here and I do this debrief, from my point of view, as a clinician, as the, the the educator here, then you as a listener, when you come to a clinic, you'll have a little bit of insight of how these things go. You'll get a little insight of, of what to do, what not to do, and you can come more prepared and get more out of it. You know, one of the things I tell all the participants the first day of the clinic is I say that, hey, I am sincerely here to help you. And I mean that, and I, I really mean that, and I, uh, I wish more people would, would take me serious and take me up on that because I'm there to help you guys. I really am. I love helping you, um, but you got to use me. And sometimes you want help, but you don't know what to ask, and you don't know what help you really need. And this, this is where your work and your labor steps in. You actually just getting out there with your mule, out there with your horse, trying some of these moves, trying some of this stuff, trying some of these exercises, see what comes up. There's different levels of learning, you know, um, and, and at this clinic was was just like this. There's some people that are brand new to it. And you know what? I think you need to learn a little bit of the mechanical stuff first. You kind of have to have an idea of how some of these things work, how the, the mule or the horse moves and 
and kind of how to do this to get along here. You kind of have to have a little idea. And then you can dive in a little bit more to the philosophy of it, the relationship building of it, you know. Uh, and, and then later you get better and you want to refine and you want to get a little bit more purity out of your work. And, and uh, you know, this makes a, a big difference. So th- there's a there's a little process to your learning. And it's, it's important to kind of know where you're at there. Some people are just in the beginning and they're like, dude, just show me how to put a halter on, man. I don't even know how to put a halter on. Just show me how to saddle one. Uh, how do you pick up his feet? Like, I don't even know how to pick it up. I'm not having a problem picking up. I don't even know how. Um, I don't know how to lead this thing. I don't know how to load this thing. They're brand new, you know, and then after you're around it for a while, you kind of get used to some of that basic stuff. And then you kind of like, well, okay, but I, I like a little bit more. I see this guy, I see this gal and they seem to get along real good with their mule. Seems like their mule kind of likes them and they got things going. How do I do that? Okay. And you start building that. And then later on you, you say, Hey, you know, that's really cool. What, what that lady, what that guy's doing on that mule, those moves are pretty cool. The places they ride seem pretty neat. I'd like to be able to do that. Then you work on that refine, refining advancement stuff. So we had the whole we had the whole gamut of folks there, and I'd love to just I would love to go through my on these debriefs and and, and I'd just love it to talk about each person and highlight uh, each person. But you know, for time's sake, it's just that's just not reasonable. And um, but I want to. I want to talk first. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about uh, a little trouble, and then I'm gonna talk about a highlight. Then I'm talking about another trouble, and I'm gonna talk about another highlight for you. So I'm gonna kind of go back and forth. Um, uh, the first the first mule I want to mention was a young three year old named Aster, and uh, a fellow named Justin was there, and and this guy worked hard. He sure did. Um, but this young mule, this three-year-old mule, just absolutely drug him around the first day and the second day, a little bit the third day too, but absolutely just drug him around everywhere and just totally disregarded him. And, uh, you know, and, and finally it came to a point where I went to help him. And I took a hold of the mule, and the mule was absolutely scared to death of me, just instantly scared to death of me. And there was another mule there. Um uh, uh, named Thomas that a, that a, a nice woman named Jennifer was working Thomas and kind of the same story with Thomas. She was put this Thomas was pushing Jennifer around everywhere. Um, just all over the place, dragging her around, pushing her around, stepping on her and, uh, kind of a handful. And then I helped her as well. And when I took a hold of that mule, he was also scared to death. Now, why is it that with with their owners or these people working with them, they didn't even care an, an ounce about the human being as being a human being. And they just run them over, step all over them, drag them around. They mean nothing. They weren't scared of them, but there's absolutely zero regard for, for the human there. But then yet yeah, I take a hold of them and they are absolutely scared to death. Don't want anything to do with me. So you got two total different spectrums here. Scared to death and totally, and for lack of better vocabulary, just disrespectful. Now, we've talked about respect on the podcast before, and you know that that I share that, you know, the mules are not capable of respecting nor disrespecting because, you know, they don't have that frontal lobe. But, you know, for lack of vocabulary from, from this Utah hick, I'll say, 
you know, they didn't have any respect for these humans and, and then were scared to death of me. What's the difference? What's the difference here? And I'll tell you, it is what I call the familiar syndrome. Now, this is just like your mule gets used to your dogs, but yet, um, if, if another dog comes around, maybe they're scared to death of it, or maybe they want to stomp it. Or your mule, this is one I hear a lot, especially in the cow working classes. My mule's totally good with my cows, but scared to death of the cows up on the mountain or out on the pasture or something. So your mule's good with your cows, but they're scared to death of the cows out, you know, on the BLM or something. Or out on the forest or whatever. Okay, so that's that's when they're familiar. That's when, oh, my mule does really good at home. But every time I leave and I go to the trailhead or every time I leave and I go uh, to the arena or I go to the show, they just act scared to death or they don't get along or we have all sorts of issues. So that is when they are familiar. Now, these are routine animals. They get used to you and they get used to you quick. Now, they got to get used to you. It's how God made them. They got to be able to get familiar and get past being scared of everything because when they're scared of everything, they can't, they don't want to eat. They don't want to drink. They don't want to reproduce. Not that mules, not that, that matters for the mules, but for the equine I'm talking about, for horses, donkeys. Um, you know, they, they got to get comfortable. And so they get used to you. They get used to you. And like this mule Thomas and this mule Aster, these two mules were absolutely totally familiar and used to these humans to where these humans didn't affect them, didn't bother them at all. But they also understood that these humans did not move their feet. These humans did not have any direction. These humans did not have any, uh, quote, leadership skills here um, at the time. You know, now after the clinic, they sure did. Um, made a lot of changes and did fantastic. But, you know, in the beginning there, it was challenging for them. They're getting run over. Then I get a hold of the mule scared to death. I came in there right off the bat with authority. When I took a hold of those mules, I knew for sure I am not getting run over today. In my head, I am, I mean, my mind is made up. I will not get ran over by that mule. Now, that's not always the case. And a lot of you listening have seen me totally mucked out by mules many a times and drug and, and kicked and run over and stomped on and bucked off and that all happens to me too but in my head in my mind i'm saying i'm not getting bucked off today i'm not getting ran over today i am not going to have you drag me around today and i and i have that authority right off and then when the mule goes to push or pull on me i i tune that up i block it i redirect that and and a lot of times these mules that are really pushy and really i don't know just a handful um, when you come in there and you don't go with this, a lot of times they just want to flee the scene. It's like they walked into a herd and there's another another horse or mule in that herd that is not going to move its feet for this mule. Um, that mule is a little lower. There's going to say, oh, man, I, I better move on to protect myself. I better not, you know, hang out here too long or else I'm going to get ran over. So um, that's kind of how it went. And when, when this is happening on either end of the spectrum, when you're, when, when like when these people are getting run over and drug around, or when this mule is scared to death of me handling it, either way, it tells you one thing, that this mule 
is just kind of in this familiar syndrome where if they're familiar, they're fine. If they're not, they're going to get out. And second, it, well, it, to go with it, I guess it's the same thing is the mule is on the instinct. They're not in the, in a thinking frame of mind. They're not using the think, you know, as the saying goes, the thinking side of their brain. They're, they're not engaged in thought at that moment. They are just being an instinctual equine. That's all it is. So how do we fix this? Well, this is what I help these, these two with Jennifer and, and Justin, we worked on skills, worked on moving their feet. The first thing you start with is just mechanics. Okay. You start with clearing the front. And I, and I, as I was helping Justin with Aster, I, uh, I went around that arena full lap and that was a big arena, just working on getting this mule to clear the front to the right. That's all I did. But you got to start asking questions. When you ask questions, that's going to engage the mule. It's going to cause the mule to think and sort out some thought. And when the mule figures it out, you back off and you say, good job. And you don't have to touch them. You don't have to pet them. You don't have to give them a treat. Just back off and leave them alone and let them soak. And that's what I did. And little by little, you're going to get that mule to where it understands how to process and how to self-regulate these these chemicals and these feelings, the, the, these thoughts that happen inside their mind. They learn how to sort through them and they learn how to how to cope with things and and they learn to not just freak out. So when I, if somebody unfamiliar like me comes in there, they don't just want to flee the scene. And then when somebody that is familiar to them, they don't just run them over and treat them like they're they're nothing. We want to engage the thought. Just the instinctual mule is not uh, a desirable creature. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, phrases out there. Natural mulemanship, natural horsemanship, and and that's fine. I and I know what, what they really mean, but but you know when it comes down to it, a lot of the stuff is not natural. You know, we uh, it, it, when we're just dealing with the natural stuff, that's when they're 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 acting scared to death of me, and just absolutely you know, disrespectful and obnoxious to others when that, that they are familiar with. So anyways, like I said, we fix that by asking questions, backing off, rewarding them over and over and over again. So anyways, Justin Kahn and uh, Jennifer, I never got Jennifer's last name, but hey, you two did great with the mules. All, all the people did great in the foundation class for sure, but good job and and we'll see some changes now. I want to I want to comment on um, transitions in our mealmanship one class. Now there's a fella that came to the clinic named Ted Johnson, a dentist, for, and um, he's been to a couple clinics now. I think this made a second clinic with me, but he brought a mule named Molly, and it came time to in mealmanship one to do transitions. All my mealmanship one classes basically the first day we work on walking transitions, second day we work on trotting transitions some at some point in class and and on the third day at some point we work on the canner we work on loping and um the third day it was it come up and it was ted's turn and i'm okay ted go ahead and go and, and i kind of give him some instruction on how to ask for this lope you know how to kind of just teeter forward on your seat bones a little bit look ahead where you want to go think about loping think about what's going to feel like when they start loping Add a little leg if the mule doesn't want to go, and the mule didn't want to go. So he's kicking, 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 trying to get it to go, trying to get it to go. 
and finally he lopes and uh and it, it was great and he loped for a little while and then you know we kind of went went on to the next person and the next person and then we changed sides and went went the other way and we get him to lope again okay and um anyways when we stop he tells me well while he's riding he says that's that's the first time i've ever loped and i thought he meant that's the first time he'd ever loped on molly which is normal a lot of people come to clinics and it's their first time they've ever loped on their mule and that's cool but when we stopped he said no that's the first time i've ever loped ever in my life and i had told him about my statistic and uh, hopefully you guys got a chance to read that article I published earlier this year in the Western Mule Magazine about my statistic on runaway mules. Uh, basically, long story short, I'll tell you what it is if you haven't heard me talk about it. But um, for the longest time, people would call me and they'd ask me what to do, how to fix a runaway mule, a bolting mule, a bolting horse. How do you fix it? And oftentimes... I'd ask them a variety of questions, and they'd be all over, but the, there, there's one question I asked every single time. And that question was, how well does your mule or your horse go through their transitions, meaning walk, trot, and lope? How well can you shift up and down? And now most of the time, people would tell me, well, Ty, I'm calling you because my mule runs away. I obviously don't lope them. Or, or I, why would I want to lope? My mule's a runaway. Why would I ever ask them to lope? And... I did this for a few years, kind of kept track, and you know what? I put together this information, and it was just astonishing. 100%, 100% of the mules and horses that ran away, the owners would answer that question one of two ways. They'd either say, A, they didn't work on transitions at all. They'd admit that hey, I don't work on transitions at all. I don't. I don't work on trotting or loping. I just walk. Or B, they'd say that their mule doesn't do it very good. A hundred percent of people with runaway mules and horses couldn't do transitions. Here's your sign, right? Here's your sign. How big of a sign do you got to have? That's telling you your problem right there. You got to practice this stuff. And and Mr. Ted said, you know what, Ty. I was I I was part of your statistic right there. I was evidence of your statistic right there because he said a lot of times people would ride up or run up behind him or come up behind him and it would spook Molly and his and his mule would take off would kind of take off and be scared and spook. And here at the clinic was the first time that he'd ever loped on purpose with his mule Molly. You know, it was just amazing and uh, there's a lot of people like that 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 happens to, you know, and um and, and Ted wrote, sent me an email. He said that that loping was the highlight of his clinic. And that's pretty cool, you know, um, to help people learn how to lope, to get them to lope and, and see what that feels like and get familiar, you know. And if if you're hesitant to lope your mule, I'd encourage you to find a, well, come to a clinic if you can. Come come hang out with me. I'll help you. But if you can't come to a clinic, I encourage you to find a, a riding instructor somewhere, uh, do some lessons and get some help. Uh, so you can get comfortable with your mule or your horse loping. Get comfortable. Know what it feels like. Know how to control it. Know how to sit it. Because a lot of times, maybe a mule goes into a lope, and you just ride it so darn terrible that 
you bounce all over and that scares the mule. Then you get your runaways. Then you get your buck offs or, or sometimes we'll blame it on a buck off when really they, they go into a lope and people fall off all the time, you know, so get comfortable in the transitions. That's my challenge to you. If you're not comfortable with your transitions right now, I encourage you to do so. Okay. So I told you a problem. I told you a good one. I'm going to go back to another little issue here. <clears throat> now, uh, back to the groundwork. Okay, uh, there's a wonderful woman there. Um, her name is Michelle, and she has a mule named Rio. Now, I want to kind of give you the, the, the timeline here so you have some, some idea what went on here. The very first day in the class, the mule is all over the place. Um, she's having a heck of a time doing the groundwork. The mule is just all over, and I give her little tips and little suggestions here and there. She works at it. You know, and by the end of the first day, she is like, I'm about ready to be done. I'm about ready to pack up and be done uh, because this is just ridiculous. The mule is just all over the place and she's having a heck of a time. Well, I talked her into, hey, give it a, give it a try. And I give her some practice. In fact, I walked down to the corrals with her and I, and I taught her how to catch her mule. And I taught her how to lead that mule out of the pen and how to, how to send it through the gate. And then went through a little bit of groundwork. And I just gave her a few items of, of homework. And to her credit, she worked at it. She did her homework. She, she practiced and she came back the next day. And the second day was better. It was much better. She got along. She got some stuff done. She made some progress. And again, she practiced and the things were going good. On day three, we're walking around the arena, beginning of class. Her mule kind of it spooks at something. Now this mule is hanging behind her. And if you've ever been to a foundation class with me, you know, this is something we're working at trying to get our mules to lead correctly in the correct spot. Now this mule's lagging behind her and something spooked the mule. And basically the mule charged forward and just, just chest slammed, uh, poor Michelle. And it kind of gave her a whiplash and she did a face plant in the dirt, just hard. Uh, and, um, of course, now she's she's done. She's out of the class. She's, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure she had a mild concussion, you know. And, um, you know, later on we talk and, and why. Why does this happen? You know, what what caused it? You know, all, all the questions that come up, you know, after a, a meal wreck, you know. And it kind of goes back to uh, something I've said on a lot of podcasts, a lot of these episodes. You've heard me talk about awareness. You got to pay attention all the time. And, and I went on to talk about how, you know, when I'm leading the mule, I'm aware. I'm, I'm, I, I need to be able to see that mule. And I like to lead my mule right there next to me to where um, they're not ahead of me. The nose is not ahead of my shoulder. I can pick up my arms either way and just lift them straight up and I would not touch the mule. But the mule's not leading me and it's not lagging behind. I want it right there with me. When I go, the mule should go. And when I stop, the mule should stop. And, uh, you know... It, it, this mule was lagging so far behind. And then also, um, I, I was trying to help Michelle practice being aware, practice being a, aware of the mule and knowing where it is, paying attention to it. And I went on to talk about, even when I stand next to the mule, I, I stand in a way that I can see the mule. I don't have that mule just lagging behind me. And a lot of people just hang on to the halter too. They're, hang, they're holding on to the halter all the time. I like to have about two or three feet from my hand. Uh, I'm talking about the lead rope. 
two or three feet of lead rope from my lead hand to that feed or not on the halter. I like about two or three foot of lead rope. That way I can direct the mule. I don't hold it so close and I don't hold it way far. I hold it right there so I can redirect the mule if I have any issues. And, um, and I talked about shadows, how you can use the shadows. You can watch the shadows and see what that mule is doing if you don't have it in your direct eyesight. I, I talked about how I stand on different angles of the mule, depending on different situations I'm in, so that I can uh, redirect that mule the best to my ability. But really, it comes down to awareness. When you're leading your mule, you need to be aware, because the, the littlest thing can happen to spook your mule, to scare them, and, or, or whatever, and you can get ran over. Now, I'm not sure what Michelle's going to do now. Uh, she's supposed to come to the clinic in McCook, Nebraska, this week coming up, and I hope she does. I hope she chooses to come so I can help her out and we can move on from this. But, you know, she asked me the last day, um, you know, after her little wreck about, should I keep this mule? Should I keep this mule? And that turned into a bit of a conversation. And I'd like to share my thoughts on keeping mules right after this little break to think a good sponsor. So I'll be right back. I need to thank my friend, Mr. Ben Lewis at Roman Home. Mr. Ben has designed a really awesome tent. It's a cross between a wall tent and a range teepee. It's built to take tough weather, high winds. Craftsmanship is amazing. And it's made right here in the USA, right here in Utah, USA. And uh, right now, Ben has a special going on. You can save 500 bucks. And uh, go to romanhome.com. Roman spelled R-O-A-M-I-N. Romanhome.com. And uh, tell Ben hello. Tell him Ty sent you. Okay, I am back with our Canyon City, Colorado Clinic debrief. And uh, I was just talking about... uh, uh, Miss Michelle and dealing with this mule that um, has a handful on the ground and whatnot. And and I said how she had asked me, should I keep the mule? Should I get rid of the mule? What should I do? Now, this is a hard one because I don't feel like I, I don't feel like I have any authority, any say in whether you all should keep your mule or not. But I can give you advice and I can tell you what I've learned from experiences and and what I've chosen to do. Um, If, if you are willing to work at it and you really want to help the mule, keep it, keep it. And if, if you, you know, a a mule like this, it's, that's really pushy on the ground and just doesn't understand how it should be around a human. And we talked about these familiar mules earlier, Justin and Jennifer. And this mule, Rio, is no different than their mules, okay? But when they get like this, the mule doesn't know any different. And and it's important to know that mules don't take advantage. They don't have that large frontal lobe in their brain that could take advantage of you, that can connive and plan and, and, uh, you know, and reason and all those things. They they don't have that, okay? They just seek comfort. And they're going to do it as easiest in the moment to seek that comfort, Okay. And so if they learn they want that patch of grass and that you don't really have a whole lot of meaning in their life, well, they might just drag you over there. Now, they're not taking advantage of you. 
They just are hungry. They want that grass. And it's easy to go there. And you haven't made it difficult not to. And you haven't made it easy to stay with you. So they're going to drag you over to that grass. And that's just the, the fact of it. So you kind of have to step up your game if you're going to keep a mule like this. You kind of have to make some plans, get some education. She was. She was at the clinic and was trying to get this education and try to get better to get along. But uh, I also feel like the clinic was, and this happens, seems like for a lot of people, where the clinic is like the last stop for the mule. And if they don't figure things out there, they're gone. And um, that drives me crazy a little bit because the clinics are education for the human. And if I can help the human, it'll help the mule. But so many people think about it being... Okay, last stop to get my mule fixed. And if they're not fixed in three days, it's over. And um, I feel I feel really bad for a lot of mules because of that. But here's the deal. When she asked, should I keep it? Should I get rid of it? I said, if you're willing to help the mule, you got to make some changes with yourself and adjust to fit this mule. And then also with with a mule like Rio and, and a lot of other mules that are a handful, you know, you have to have the mindset that, hey, I want to help that mule. You need to have the mindset that you want to help them and and be there in their journey. It's not a matter of you. Uh, it, it's not trying to get the mule good for you. It's trying to help the mule just get comfortable and get to where they understand what it is that you're looking for. Okay. Um, so it's kind of having that that attitude that, hey, I want you want to help the mule. And after I told her that and I told her what it's going to take to help the mule and, and what she's going to need to do to, to get things lined out, then I told her the other thing to consider is, you know what? A lot of people get really attached. And in this case, it was really hard because she's raised this mule and she's had this mule 14 years. And uh, this is really challenging uh, because, I mean, imagine having a mule for 14 years and having these troubles and then trying to decide whether to keep it or move it along. That's tough. Uh, I get attached to my mules, my little youngsters that I raise. As soon as I pick them up as weanlings, I'm attached to the poor things. You know, I just love them, and it's it's really challenging. Um, but also, I know this is what I shared with Michelle that you know what, we don't always fit. We're not the mules are not always the best fit for us, and sometimes we're not the best fit for that mule. And you got to see it from both points of view. Maybe there's somebody else that would be a better fit for that mule and be able to help that mule better than you. Maybe there's a mule out there that would be a better fit and be a better help to you. So it's it, it's kind of come to reality that, you know, if it, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. It's like relationships and... If it's not going to work, it's not going to work, you know, and uh, no matter how bad you want it to work or in your mind you're trying to make it work, uh, sometimes these relationships with these horses and with these mules, just it just doesn't work. But that doesn't mean it's the end of the line and that you have to go buy a four-wheeler. There's another good mule or another good horse, and there's a lot of good ones out there, you guys. And and right now with uh, the prices of, of animals, uh, horses and mules right now, and, and the economy in the in the equine world is just up so much more people are spending more time making good mules and good horses. And you can, 
and you can get a good animal right now because they're they're valuable and people see some 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 worth in and putting some time into a mule to get them good so i've seen a lot of great mules i've seen probably some of the best mules in the in the past just couple of years um that i've ever seen and i think just more people are putting time into making a good handy safe mule so they're out there you can find a better fit and um anyway so those are the two things hey if you're going to keep them have the mindset to help the mule if it's not working though you don't have to feel bad and, and we get these and I, I might i may get some hate mail from somebody about this but we we get attached and and then we feel guilty for moving them on like we should be there forever home and um you know you got to consider would that mule be happier with somebody else other than me and if it's the case and if you'd be happier with another mule rather than that mule if that's the case hey move on move on otherwise help that thing do what you need to do to bring out the best in that mule do what you need to do to make that mule the best that it can be so those are your the two sides of the coin right there for you on uh, on helping meal now i want to talk about one other thing that was really fun in our mealmanship two class we had two hackamore meals now including mine we had three out there riata is in the hackamore now and sky was able to uh ride in the mealmanship two class because there was a bunch of kids there and you know you guys sky and i love when you guys bring your kids to the clinics i know it's maybe a handful for you to bring your kids but hey we love it because it gives our kids somebody to play with and a lot of people leave their kids at home because they don't think it's a place for kids and i say well oh my gosh i mean look at me i'm just a big kid you know and and if it's not if a clinic isn't a place for kids then i don't want to be there that's the wrong clinic to hang out at because you know if you're not good with kids, you may not be good with mules either, you know, I found. <laughs> so um, bring your kids. Anyways, there was a pile of kids there. And uh, since there are so many kids there, we sent we sent our girls off and they all played together. They had fun. And so Sky got tried mulemanship too. And her mule cupcake has just recently been graduated to the Hackamore as well. And then uh, our, our friend Lisa Taka who we've had Lisa here on the podcast and I've talked about her. She's, she's been to a pile of clinics just this year alone. She's probably been to seven clinics this year, but anyways, Lisa is a really hardworking, uh, just, just a, a, an amazing mule woman. She is so good. And, um, her mule Katie has recently graduated to the Hackamore as well. And so in the mulemanship two class, we had three Hackamore mules. And uh, that is just so cool. And I just wanted to highlight Lisa and Sky, and say how fun it is to be able to work on the next steps of the progression. Lisa said something funny, though. And she's Lisa is probably one of our number one listeners on this podcast. I mean, she doesn't miss an episode. So she's probably going to be calling me after this and giving me some crap. But she said something funny. She said, you know... Um, there's a couple of, uh, of folks that would like to, you know, have, have just a Hackamore class, like a Mulemanship 3 Hackamore class. And, um, and I kind of, kind of chuckled and I thought, well, you know, when you progress to the Hackamore, you actually just go back 
and you do everything you did in the snaffle again, it's the exact same pieces. And uh, in fact, you try to break it down even more basic for the hackamore. It's not like you're doing more advanced moves. You're now just doing it with less signal. That's all the hackamore is. Um, it, it's a way for you to test your skills, test your mule by doing less. You know, when you graduate from the snaffle bit to the hackamore, you're giving up some pieces of the signal. You're obviously giving up the pressure that you use on the bars with your snaffle bit. And you only have just your your pushing bar, basically the 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 bars or, or the cheeks of the hackamore uh, to to build any signal with. You're you know you don't have a bit in their mouth, um, and also the way your reins are attached to the heel knot, your signal is really minimal down there, especially on lateral work. It's really it's really pretty minimal because the range is tied so close. And so you have to be pretty finite with your with your signals. So you, you're give, you've given up quite a bit. <laughs> no pun intended. But you've given up a lot um, to go from the snaffle to the hackamore. And, uh, and, and like I said, then you just go through everything you did in the snaffle bit. The very beginning, you just go through it again. In the hackamore. So you start over and you do it all again, but this time with less. And that's the key. You know, it is one of my goals. I hope I would I would just love it to I could help all of you make bridal mules. Now I know a lot of you listening may not even know what a bridal mule is, and you can go back and listen to previous episodes and learn about that. But um and a lot of you, you know, you 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 want to ride and you want to get along and you know the whole refinement game is not your thing and, and that is okay i want you to know that's okay it's not a big deal but i i would really love it to help you make a bridal mule uh, or a bridal horse it's just and, and it's not even the 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 product that you're trying to make it's the it's a journey to get there that is so special and so anyways i just wanted to mention sky and and Lisa and, and, and that on the Hackamores, using the Hackamore Mulemanship too. Um, just really cool. So, hey, with that, I think I'm going to close it up now. You know, uh, I got a whole bunch of clinics coming up. We've got 10 more clinics this fall. You know, we're headed to uh, Nebraska right now. Um, and then we're going to go to North Dakota. We're going to go to Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Virginia. Uh, Indiana, Iowa, Texas, and then finish up our finish up our year with a an extreme trail clinic uh, in our homestead of Utah. So um, I'll be doing debriefs after each of those clinics, and we'll see what comes up, guys. But uh, hey, until next time, may God bless you, and we will see you down the road.